Hey Chance, how's it going? Good, Josh. How are you? Good. You're not going to eat fruit snacks while we're talking on the podcast, are you? <laughs> I didn't know we'd started. I'm sorry. Should we start over again? No, this works. Okay. So I have a story to tell you. Oh, yeah? I was volunteering at the elementary school book fair um, a couple of weeks ago. And do you know Jojo Siwa? Yes, I know who that is. So she's, I don't really know who she is. I will say just slightly off topic, a third grader looked at me and said, why is Jojo Siwa famous? And I said, if you knew that, we would all be famous. We would all be millionaires. <laughs> no, that, but so, that's a good point. Yes, um, I do know who she is. We sell a lot of her stuff at my work. Yes, so she's very popular at the elementary school book fair. There's little Jojo Siwa books. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them have a necklace, things like that. Oh. Um, so my book fair buddy and I, for book fair, to drum up enthusiasm, we each wore big Jojo Siwa bows. Oh, yeah. Um, to the book fair. Did you see the picture? I did. You looked adorable in your big old bow. Thank you. Well, another third grader didn't think so. Um, she says, why are you wearing a bow? And I said to her, why does anyone wear a bow? <laughs> And she said, but why are you wearing a bow? And so I pointed to my book fair buddy, who is a woman, and I said, why aren't you asking her why she's wearing a bow? And this girl said, well, because she's a girl and you're a boy. OMG, are you serious? And I said, I can wear a bow if I want to. And this boy in her class comes up to her and says, I used to wear bows all the time when I was a kid, and sometimes I still wear bows, and boys can wear bows too. <laughs> and I was like, thank you. <laughs> Good for him. Thank you very much. Yeah. He came to my defense, and I was very happy. I'm glad that a third grader defended your honor. Well, the same girl comes up to me later, and she goes, your bow's ugly. Oh, and Wow. Yes, and in my head I wanted to say, you're ugly, bitch. But since she's nine, you know, I didn't. Probably a little inappropriate. I I wanted to say, I'll take the bow off and I'll be pretty, but you'll always be ugly. (laughs) Was it the same girl the second time around? I think it was the same girl. I wonder why Um, she hates you so much. Well, she hated the bow. I just told her she was rude. Hmm. Um, That seems pretty safe. I might talk about her later in the podcast. Oh, Um, my. Or I can try to naturally segue into what we're talking about today. Who do you think is more evil, Josh? Children or Hannibal Lecter? Um, Well, Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. I I say this because at the same day after book fair, they had a guy on a bicycle do, like, stunts. And he jumped over the principal, which was kind of exciting. Um, and a child from the audience goes, now let's kill him. <laughs> wow. You have some. And I really thought they were going to raise a mob and like tear the principal limb from limb. Wow. And, yeah. You know, burn him on the lawn. You have vicious little children up there. Well, the same girl that said my bow was ugly got called up to volunteer in the stunt show. And I was so close to raising my hand and being like, this girl does not deserve to be a representative of this school (laughs) for her attitude. (laughs) But instead, I just said to the person sitting next to me, I hope he runs over her. (laughs) My goodness. 
You're in a. We, sometimes it takes a long time to get over these bloodthirsty urges that we have, even as adults. You're absolutely right. Your interaction with the girl sounds like uh, reminds me of um, Bridesmaids um, when uh, Kristen Wiig is in the jewelry store and she's having that argument with the girl. Yes, that's my favorite part of that movie. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I love when bad things happen to children in movies. <laughs> In the new Child's Play movie, a young girl is sprayed in the face with this, like, gout of blood that comes gushing out of this man's <laughs> neck, and she's just screaming and being sprayed with blood, and I was laughing so hard. Oh, my goodness. It's a fun movie. I'm going to take your word for it. I don't, I don't think I'm going to go see it. Well, um, what's-her-name is really good. Uh, the sassy one, the deadpan one from Parks and Rec. Uh, uh, Aubrey Plaza. Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, she's great. Anyway, um... What are we talking about? What are we doing? Why are we here? Who am I? Who are you? Hello, I'm Josh Gross. And I'm Chance Lee. And this is Gross Misinterpretation, the podcast where we look at popular media from a queer viewpoint. This episode, we are talking about Silence of the Lambs, the book, not the movie. Well, maybe a little bit about the movie. It's it's unavoidable. It really is. Especially when trying to look up a quiz. Mm. Well, I know a lot about the movie, too, so you can quiz me on both. Well, I'm going to give you the quiz that I came up with, and uh, it's mostly based on the book. Great. Because I just I don't have time to, to make another quiz for you, Chance. I just don't. That's okay. <laughs> so should we do, we do our plot summary of the book, which is the same plot summary as it would be for the movie? So mine is 96 words. So we try to keep it 100, under 100 words on gross misinterpretation. I'm pretty sure that I kept it under 100 words this time, too. Oh, I'm so proud of you. So, okay, here mine goes. Female FBI trainee Clarice Starling, a woman, is tracking Buffalo Bill, a serial killer who kills and skins college-age girls. Starling, who is one of only two dames in the FBI, it <laughs> seems is critical to the case because, as someone with a uterus, she understands other ladies and can therefore find things in jewelry boxes and comprehend how dressmaking works. <laughs> Starling is assisted by Hannibal Lecter, an imprisoned cannibal doctor who gives her cryptic tips as to Bill's identity. A series of bureaucratic fuck-ups provides Lecter an opportunity to escape as Starling closes in on the killer. Wow, you are always so very in-depth, and you managed to hit, like, most of the main plot points along the way, too. Well, the one I originally wrote was, Clarice Starling tries to find one killer with the help of another, period. <laughs> and I thought I should flesh it out a bit. Well, I'm glad you did. My my summaries are always more of the, the smart-ass nature. Okay, so I I managed to do a summary in 78 words. Ooh. Yeah, I was impressed. It's a record. It's not informative, though, so that probably helped. Well. Let's see here. So, this is the story of a whole buttload of transphobic slash homophobic nonsense and of Clarice Starling and her uphill battle against all the stupid garbage men of the world. Despite their best efforts to patronize, belittle, withhold information, record conversations, work against her, destroy her career before it even begins, objectify, shoot, and date her, Clarice still manages to single-handedly find the serial killer she was looking for and save the senator's daughter he held captive. You forgot and ask her what color her poop is. Oh, yes. My mistake. 
Yeah, but that was a good summary. There's a little bit of commentary there, but also a summary. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little. Just a little bit. So do you want to give us the context of this novel? Sure. Silence of the Lambs came out in 1988. It is um, a thriller from Thomas Harris. He had written Red Dragon before that also featured Hannibal Lecter. Um, and he wrote one other book before that, but it was unrelated. The previous book, Red Dragon, introduced Lecter and also became a movie called Manhunter in the 80s. In addition to the, the later Red Dragon mm-hmm. movie with um, what's his name in it? Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> well, yes, um, but also the Fight Club guy, um, Edward Norton. Oh, Red Dragon. Sorry. Yes. Um, Hannibal Lecter does have a larger role in Silence of the Lambs than he did in Red Dragon, um, but he didn't really become a household name until the Silence of the Lambs movie in 1991. Um the time was ripe for it because Anthony Hopkins was amazing, but especially because America was all about transphobia around this time period, as we pointed out in a previous episode. Um, and the Silence of the Lambs movie, like, swept the Oscars um, and became a really big deal. So I think uh, I think that's why we got so uh, such a, a different book with um, this, the next one, Hannibal. Yes, which we'll talk about next time. Yes. I promise I will not talk about Hannibal too very much in this episode. Please don't. I, I might not be able that, to help myself. It's a long-ass book. We're going to need time for it next time. Okay. I will say, well, I had a hard time finding reviews of the book because there's just so many things about the movie now. The movie has really eclipsed the book, I believe. It has. Um, I, I had the same problem trying to find quizzes for the book. Um, there weren't any. They were all for the movie. Even my copy of the paperback was printed after um, after the movie, but it does have a lot of acclaim printed in it, including a quote from Roald Dahl. Oh, really? Um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, yeah. who says it's the best book he's read in a very long time and infinitely superior to any novel published in 1998. Wow, I find that astonishing. 88, excuse me. Well, also Liz Smith, wasn't she a gossip columnist? Yes. She said she read the first sentence of the book, threw up her hands, and stayed up all night to finish, and it didn't matter. She scarcely slept since. Oh, wow. The first sentence isn't that interesting. It says, behavioral science, the FBI section that deals with serial murder, is on the bottom floor of the academy, the academy (laughs) building at Quantico. There's a hyphen, half buried (laughs) in the earth. (laughs) And Liz Smith was just like, shit, I'm an insomniac now. Yeah, you'd, you'd think with her, um, her her writing experience that she wouldn't have been so enamored with that first sentence. But I guess you never know what's going to traumatize people. I could see Roald Dahl being interested with this because he writes some kind of crazy asshole characters, too. Um, he does. He has a lot of adult fiction that is um, kind of twisted and unpleasant, but still entertaining. So who are our main characters in this book, Josh? Well, let's start with the specifically queer characters. Um, There is Benjamin Raspail. Um, He is a gay flutist. Flautist. Flautist. Um, And he... um, He was at least aware that his Swedish lover had been murdered and who had murdered him and that 
James Gum had committed other murders, but he seemed cool who's, with it. Who's James Gum? That is um, our our villain, I guess. Um, the the antagonist of the book, the the serial killer. Um, who? Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill. Yeah, that's what the the that's newspapers how the are calling. The FBI deems him. Mm-hmm. Um, and James Gum identifies as trans. Um, but the medical community says that they are not, and that they're not gay either. Um, just picked it up in jail, whatever that means. Um, they murder gay men. They murder women to make tit vests. And there is a lot of masculine pronouns used when talking about James Gum in the book, like overly masculine pronouns. Like he's called Mr. Gum on a lot of occasions. Like, like we have to be formal about it or something. Um, well, who calls him Mr. Gum? The the narrator, Thomas Harris does. Oh, the narrator, you're right. Look at that. Yeah, he's he's literally just saying, Mr. Gum did this and Mr. Gum did that. I wonder... Yeah, that is interesting because Clarice isn't Miss Starling and no one else has like a formal um, title. Right. I mean, it's not Mr. Lecter. Um, it seems right. like Thomas Harris was doing it on purpose to, to further emphasize that they don't think of Jane Gum as a trans woman. That's interesting. So how do they identify themselves as trans? When does that happen? So why does Jane want to be a woman? Did it say why? Well, um, they're a little obsessed with that video of their mother sliding naked down a slide. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, Jane watches that. And how that. beautiful her boobs look flopping around on the slide. That's right. I don't know if that is necessarily a cause of transgenderism, but definitely an inspiration. Yeah. That's the model for um, the outfit. Right. I remember them watching that video over and over again, yes. Yes. But also, Jane Gum is... Um, the swishiest, most feminine character in the book as well, um, which um, people also had a, an issue with. I remember reading an. Who isn't? Hmm? I remember reading an article um, where their um, gays were protesting um, the movie because of the the portrayal of Buffalo Bill in the movie, which I mm, which I mm-hmm. thought was interesting. Um, since I heard that they protested the Oscars too. Yes. Um, and I thought it was interesting, especially since they, they weren't especially concerned about the transphobic aspects of the movie. They were just concerned about that, I guess. Well, I don't think there was a lot of trans visibility in the early 90s. No, there wasn't. And um, like, like I said, that was a very transphobic era to begin with. Well, yeah, a lot of just the general research at the time um, has, has since been... Um, you know, argued against or questioned. I was doing some research into um, what the scholarship on gender dysphoria uh, was at the time, and I found an article from the Journey of the Journey. This is a journey. Get ready to go on this journey with me, Josh. I'm ready. A journey into the Journal of Sex Research. <laughs> Do you have your pith helmet on? I, I do. <laughs> and, uh, and a machete. 
Because we're this is a tangled web of sex research in 1987. Oh, I bet it is. So this was accepted for publication in June 18th, 1987, so the year before the book came out. And, of course, we don't know if, you know, Thomas Harris consulted this, but, you know, he probably um, consulted something similar. This was by a scientist or psychologist, psychiatrist, I don't know, uh, named Ray Blanchard, who's still involved in the APA today, I believe. He was involved in the most recent DSM manual revision. Oh, that's interesting. Um, And so he has a lot to say about gender dysphoria. These are his terms, or transsexualism. Um, He defines it as extreme gender dysphoria that has persisted without fluctuations for at least one or two years. Um, One of the criticisms of this particular study is that he uses the terms homosexual and heterosexual um, based on erotic attraction to members of the same or the opposite chromosomal sex. Hmm. So so therefore a female to male, someone who undergoes surgery to transition or was was born female but identifies as male but is attracted to women would be what this person calls a transsexual lesbian. Okay, wow. homosexual transsexual. So not only does it not take into account the person's own personal gender identity, but it's just really fucking confusing. It is. I remember reading that article and, um, yes... I was confused. It seems needlessly complicated just for the purpose of disregarding a person's preferred gender identity. Right, and that's exactly what it's doing. Yeah. So um, I, I did. I, I found there, he does. He does a lot of study though on people who are in who are transsexuals because they are aroused by dressing as a woman. Oh, the transvestism. Like it seemed to fall into two categories: transsexual or transvestite. Yes, fetishistic cross-dressing. Um, and he, he talked about that quite a bit, um, how they're aroused by wearing clothes or they're aroused by fantasies of femininity associated with having male lovers rather than by men's bodies themselves. He does a lot of talking to people who are homosexual or heterosexual transgenders. I just get so confused by this. Um, but, so it was confusing. It, it was a confusing time. <laughs> well, as it, it was a very confusing article, that's for sure. Um, and, yeah. and a problematic one. Well, one thing um, that the book, someone, who is it that says in the book that uh, Buffalo Bill isn't a, a real transsexual. Is that Hannibal Lecter? Um, I feel like it wasn't because I feel yes. like the I feel like he was the one who said he wasn't a real gay. Oh. Um, let's see. I marked it in my book. No, it is. It is Doctor Lecter. Maybe I'm confusing He's, the two things. He says Billy. Billy's not a real transsexual. So there was a definition of true transsexualism in the medical community in the 60s. Um, True transsexuals fear that they belong to the other sex. They want to be and function as members of the opposite sex, not only to appear as such, 
Um, for them, their sex organs are disgusting deformities that must be changed by the surgeon's knife. So I was curious if Dr. Lecter was, you know, referring to this definition as a real transsexual because, but I don't know. So does um, Jame Gum want, he, he, she wants gender, what they would call a sex change operation then, correct? Uh, yeah, so Jame Gum did want to transition um, and there was only about three different places to do that in the United States at the time um, and they kept being rejected um, by the, the three different places um, because the the medical gatekeepers as the as another article called them um, didn't consider James to be uh, a trans um, but really and if um, if James Gum identifies as trans and that's what they are but like even till today you still have to convince the medical community about that if you want to do any form of transitioning well that seems to be you know what spurs on this killing spree is that they're unable to be approved for the surgical procedure um plus the fact that they're crazy um this is someone who killed their own grandparents as a child um so those two combined led them on this killing spree to skin women and make a women's suit out of real women yes they they killed their grandparents um and they also killed gay men um before deciding to go this uh girl suit route yeah there doesn't seem to be any um well is is gum have a have a sexual preference do they have a sexual preference I feel like the book mostly focuses on their appearance. It does. Um, and I don't recall any discussion given to what James Gum is attracted to or not attracted to. But I think a lot of the confusion with this is that even though we do get POV chapters from the character, um, their psyche isn't explored beyond the killing aspect. That's, that's right. Um, and I think the only commentary on it was that one where somebody said that they they weren't gay they just thought they were gay yeah but that's someone else you know making an opinion well that's also true but it's all we got to go on and it also doesn't make Um, any sense we don't know which what they meant that's true do you think um that jane would have become a serial killer uh if they had been able to transition jane was already a serial killer before they started doing the the, the women killings well I mean I, were, <laughs> I guess the question is were they a serial killer or were they just like a violent a repeat offender you know I feel like there's a difference between like oh I've killed a few people here and there and I have this like right like I've just killed a handful because I got angry versus um, like I have this methodology so I guess what I mean is like a pop culture serial killer you know where there's this clear methodology and they get profiled and all of these things, you know, and like, because like, would you consider someone who was a gang member and killed a bunch of people like drive-by shooting? Are they a serial killer? Yes. I, I, but I, <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> um, but you know, that's what, that's just the distinction I'm trying to make. Also. So, I mean, if, would they have gotten into this fixation with a certain thing? You know, our famous serial killers like Ted Bundy and John Wayne Gacy and Ed Gein, who was 
I believe, an inspiration for Buffalo Bill. Uh-huh. You know, had a methodology and had these certain traits and had these repeated techniques. Um, so would James Gum have done that had the transition procedure been approved? Well, certainly not in that specific way. They wouldn't have that right. specific fixation. They wouldn't have the need to continue doing that. However, um, you know, like I said, they they killed people before, and they probably have continued to kill people for whatever specific individual reason. Um, and I don't know if eventually somebody would have started stringing the murders together and realizing it was a serial killer, or if they just would have continued to be isolated incidents until... Well, they were in jail at some point for murder. Oh, that's right. So that was just my curiosity. Before we move on, I just wanted to say that if anyone, you know, who has half a brain in their head, unlike me, um, wants to review these <laughs> these medical articles that I was trying to make sense of and failing to do so, um, you might be able to look them up online. One of them is called Non-Homosexual Gender Dysphoria by Ray Blanchard. It's in the Journal of Sex Research. I downloaded it off EBSCO, which I used through my local library. Um, and the other is the greatest, um, you know, repository of information of our time, Wikipedia. Excellent. So what do you want to talk about next, Josh? Well, we weren't done talking about the queers. Um, we had one. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> we had one queer left. Look at um, me. I'm erasing them, too. I'm ashamed. Lastly, we have Klaus, um, the other specifically queer character. Um, I guess you couldn't really say they're an actual character in the book. They're just a person that is talked about in the book because they're literally a head in a jar. So I guess they Josh were literally in there in the book. They too. just weren't alive or attached to their body. Um, that was um, that was the gay Swedish man that um, Benjamin Raspiel was, was dating and who James Gum murdered. And um, I guess Benjamin Raspiel used to go um, sit in his car with the head in the jar and look at valentines Aww. which seems uh, overly sentimental and, and weird I think Benjamin Raspail had a few problems of his own it seems like the best way to spend valentine's day to me with the head in a jar <laughs> but I guess that's why Benjamin Raspail was going to Hannibal Lecter in the first place so Klaus gay, Swedish Head in a jar. Do you have anything else you'd like to say about Klaus? No, I found the whole thing with Raspail and Klaus and all that very convoluted and hard to follow. Um, it was convoluted, and it sounded like a lot of gay nonsense. Like, like didn't the oh, like that's I apologize. Continue. Like that's how he just regards gay people and how they would interact with each other, I guess, and that they all know each other. Well, didn't the movie condense them into just one character? Wasn't it Benjamin Raspail's head in the car? Yes, I think in the movie it was just Benjamin Raspail's head in the car. I think, unlike other things the movie simplified, that was a smart simplification, because, again, this was needlessly complicated. Yes. Um, so the next part that I wanted to talk about um, I called Clarice versus the World of Awful Men. Um, there... Maybe we should work our way from the bottom up. Oh, of the list of awful men that Clarice deals with? Yes. All right. Well, first, there is all the miscellaneous dumb men at the autopsy and um, and the reporters that she deals with. 
Yeah, so she's doing uh, an autopsy on a woman that they pulled from the river who they believe is a victim of the Buffalo Bill Killer. And everyone's like, a woman? Because they're in the South. Right. What's this woman doing here, y'all? And while they were kind of sexist, um, Clarice also identified with them since she was also from the South um, and kind of uh, laid it on thick for them. That's true. I do the same thing. (laughs) When I meet someone with a Southern accent, I'm just like, oh my gosh, what are you doing up here? Yeah. Um, There was also the reporters, um, particularly at the storage unit, that were trying to trick her so that they could get the scoop on whatever she had found in the storage unit. Um, And the one that tried to slip under the door. Yes, I did like when she closed the door on that man. I did too. I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Also, didn't she like also hold up a tire iron or something? Probably. (laughs) That's the first time we see her really be like, get the fuck out of my way. Yes. And while she was kind of... a nice empowering moment. Yeah. Um, Even though she was kind of worried about her behavior and how it would be regarded by the FBI afterwards, I had to think, you know, you you did the right thing. Well, as a woman, you know, she has to be very, very careful because she already has the cards stacked against her. So she has to do everything absolutely perfect to get a promotion that any other asshole might get. Right. Speaking of... Um, Everybody's favorite asshole, Paul Krendler, played by uh, Ray Liotta in the uh, Hannibal movie. Which we'll get to next time. Yep, I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, I am going to talk about it a little bit, though. Um, He is awful. He's from the Justice Department, and he tries to compromise Clarice's career in this book, um, and he also does it in Hannibal as well. Which we'll talk about next time. I know. I wanted to talk about it. Talk about that one aspect of it this time because <laughs> I didn't notice it the last time I read Silence of the Lambs, and it has such a big thing to do with the plot of Hannibal, um, especially and also that um, Clarice compares Paul Krendler to the um, the cocksucker that comes and visits them after her dad dies. Oh right. Was that the the mayor of the town that she called the yes. cocksucker? Oh, yes. So it's interesting that she makes that comparison, um, something that's so close and personal to her, um, which um, which will come up later in a different book that we will talk about next time. Next time. Did you have any thoughts on Crindler? No, I, I forgot he was in this book. Okay. Um, there is- I mean, not now, but like I have read this. I read this book like 20 years ago and then forgot right i did too um mostly because i cared more about hannibal than i did about silence of the lambs correct um frederick chilton is another character um awful man that clarice has to deal with um he is not a a doctor apparently but he gets to oversee the the psychiatric ward that holds hannibal lecter and a bunch of other terrible criminals oh right he's like dr laura or something or dr (laughs) phil right Right. he's like has He's, like, kind of a doctor, but, like, not in what his job actually is. Right. Um, He's pretty disgusting. Um, He's kind of dangerous and reckless. Um, As you pointed out, he at one point threatens Hannibal with prison rape. Um, Yes. And he's one of the few people that, well, no, I guess there's several of them, but um, that sexualizes Clarice, but he really does it a lot. Yeah, he's the main one. It was refreshing that it wasn't coming from Thomas Harris, though, for the most part. 
No, it really isn't. You know, other than the the Mr. Gum that that you pointed out, there's not a lot of authorial commentary that feels out of place. Right. I feel like if Stephen King had been writing this, we would have heard all about Clarice's boobs and her sexy legs and everything else. God, the book would have been 100 pages longer and it would have all been legs. Well, yes. Any thoughts on Chilton? He's gross. He is gross. Um, Crawford, he is the... And not in the gross misinterpretations way, but in the gross ick way. Right. Thank you for clarifying that. You're welcome. Um, The other man, another man, I guess I should say, that Clarice has to deal with is Crawford. He is the head of the Behavioral Science Division of the FBI. Um, Jack Crawford. Jack Crawford. Thank you. I could not remember his first name. Um, He likes to mansplain a lot. He's pretty patronizing and manipulative. Um, but the worst thing I think he did in this book was he actually threatened to close down one of the only three places trans people can transition um, just to get his way, which I thought was pretty yes. horrifying. Yeah, who's he trying to punish? You know, he's doing that to get the doctor, you know, to give him information. Right. So it might have helped him catch a serial killer. But, you know, think of the, you know the the thousands of trans people that would have been able to get, you know, go there and transition. Mm-hmm. Also, um, as Reed pointed out, he's also a possible HIPAA violator. <gasps> because he did eventually get information about James Gum from one of the institutions, even though he was not a patient there. He they did get his you know information through his um, applying there. Wow. Did you have anything else about Crawford to add? No, he's another one that I mean I didn't really pay attention to you know the first time I read the book. Right. And I barely pay attention to him in the movie because he's not that interesting. No. He's kind of the daddy figure. Like Clarice has her dead daddy and Jack Crawford's her alive daddy that um, she wants to impress. Right. But I also think that's really gross. Yes. And especially when like she does a great job and he kisses her on the forehead, which he totally wouldn't do with a male agent. No, not in any way, shape or form. No. Um so, but, you know, it was an upgrade in the Hannibal TV show when he was played by Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, yes. I forgot about that. I forgot that was well, Jack Crawford. Yeah. Well, because the, the movie erases most of his beat, his plot, which is, again, a smart move because who cares? Right. Um, but the TV show added, um, what is her name? Gina Torres as his dying wife, remember? <laughs> They put the whole dying wife plot line in the TV show. That's right. And they, they used it a bit better, if I recall, um, than the book actually does. Yeah, and the, move, the the TV show also took a minor male character, Dr. Alan Bloom, and turned him into Alana Bloom, um, played by my favorite, Carolyn Deverna of Wonder Falls. Yes. Um, but the show had its own problems, because I never knew her name, remember? I would just call her Dr. Wonder Falls, because <laughs> yes. they never... I mean, I guess I did at some point get her name rooted in my subconscious because when I saw Alan Bloom, I was like, ah, Dr. Wonderful. Right. Um, but I just remember there's another female character that I, the, on the show, and I would just call her the other woman on the show. And there's this one episode where they said her name like three times, and I was like, oh, shit, she's going to die. Oh, and she did. my goodness. I was sad. Oh, I still call her Dr. Wonderfalls. Dr. Wonderfall. She, she will always be Dr. Wonderfalls in my heart. Yes. Anyway, um, now we've got the most awful of awful men on the planet. Yes, Hannibal Lecter himself. 
himself with his six fingers and red eyes and tiny, tiny teeth. Yes. He is. Uh... Why is he such a freak? <laughs> well, you could delve into that, but we'd have to talk about Hannibal Rising, um, which is probably the least successful book about Hannibal Lecter. Um, but um, I believe his sister got eaten in front of him. So I will say, just as a real quick, since we brought it up and then we won't talk about it anymore. There was one, I'm reading Hannibal for our next podcast, and there's one line about his sister being eaten. Oh my goodness, is there really? Yes. Um, so we can talk about that on the, remind me, and we'll talk about that on the next episode. Because there's only one line, and so I just assumed that he had eaten her. Uh, he did not. She was eaten by others. Um, I read the book back in 2000 eight or whenever it would whenever it was it came out so i don't remember it very well um but there was a lot going on in it mm. well, we'll come back to that next time but in this book like he's cartoonishly strange he is he's also was, kind of was he that way in man uh not uh, red dragon i don't remember i haven't read red dragon in a really long time but i did watch manhunter fairly recently um and Hannibal Lecter um, in Manhunter is um, is interesting, um, and but wasn't you know wasn't Anthony Hopkins, and I don't think he was so, similar. He he was a little different from the Silence of the Lambs book Hannibal also because this one seems um, occasionally crude um, and sometimes kind of petty um, things that. He was kind of. He seemed kind of inconsistent to me, um, but he also wasn't the point of either of the books. He he wasn't the point until we got to Hannibal, anyway. Right. Yeah. So in this book, he is definitely more of a supporting character. He, I mean, probably is in ten, fifteen percent of it at the most. Right. If even, because um, he's in prison and Clarice goes to visit him a couple of times. Um, what would you? What What were the if you could describe him in three words as he appears in this book, what three words would you choose? Um, patronizing. Hmm. Evil. Ooh. Um, and I keep coming back to crude. Crude. Yeah. He's not, I mean, he's not a, a likable character. Yeah, and he doesn't have the the same level of calm sophistication that, you know, is often associated with Hannibal Lecter now um, in this book. Reading the book now, do you, like, read him with Anthony Hopkins' voice? Um, I didn't this time. I have in yeah. the past with, with this one and Red Dragon and Hannibal. But this one, I was really trying to pay attention to how he was... Um, how he was written um, and the things that he was saying. Um, so I was trying to be less thinking of him as Anthony Hopkins, but it's very hard to separate Anthony Hopkins from Hannibal Lecter at this point. It is. A lot of the lines are the same. Right. Um, and so, and I just think, I do think that the Anthony Hopkins version of the character is more interesting than the one on the page. So I would just conjure him up to stay interested. I, I agree. I, I found him an almost annoyingly boring in this book. <laughs> Yeah, and I think um, I think when in my younger readings of the book, I'm imagining Anthony Hopkins, so that probably helped me um, enjoy mm -hmm. it more. 
Um, this time reading the book, though, I realized that um, Hannibal Lecter literally let every one of those women die because he knew right from the beginning who was doing it. Um, and he just let them all die. Yes, he has no conscience. He thinks it's fun. This is how he gets his entertainment. Well, I will say that I, I couldn't picture Clarice as Jodie Foster, though. I feel like she's di very different in the book than she is in the movie. I don't know why. Oh, you think so? Yeah. I'm not going to talk about Hannibal. Um, no, I, I, th I feel like Jodie Foster's portrayal was fairly true to the character. Uh, what were some differences that you, you thought you noticed between um, the Jodie Foster Clarice and the book Clarice? Well, I think it's just that we get, a, I mean, there's a lot more of Clarice that we get in Silence of the Lambs book than we do in the movie. That's true. The movie spends a lot of visual time on Hannibal's escape, on James Gum's torture of Catherine Martin, on his sewing the dress, on him tucking himself. We don't get a lot of her, but in this book, she spends a lot of time thinking about her dead father. You know, she, she often thinks of her childhood. She goes more in depth with her childhood with Dr. Lecter than she does in the movie. Um, we spend more time with her in training and she's always worried about tests. It's almost like a young adult novel. It's like she's always worried about passing her quiz. You know what? That's true. You know, that's something that I enjoy about the books more than the movie. Um, Clarice is, um, you know, she's she's in school and she's having to. You should kind of having that school experience. She has a roommate. Um, you know, it's that's all part of her school experience. So she is kind of a young person. It's but she's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> she is although i did yes. notice um this time this time i was reading it through she has um, a lot of psych uh, psychology experience um like she mm. majored in psychology um she worked in some sort of um, mental health um, center of some sort like she could have just gone out and gotten a job doing something like that because she has so much experience Mm. Yeah, no, she is. She's very smart. She's very resourceful. She stays very calm under pressure. I did really like her as a character. And not that I didn't like Jodie Foster. I liked her too. But I, you know, I liked both characters. They just felt different. I also like Julia Moore. We'll talk about that next time. <laughs> Fine. Uh, and I also liked, you know, she gives that, that nice poor girl. Um, information on getting grants for college. That was very sweet. Oh, yeah, that was really <laughs> nice of her. Like, you know, she's trying to hunt down a serial killer, but she's still going to take the time to help out another woman. Yeah, she's like, oh, I'll still send you some, some brochures. I'm getting a grant. <laughs> I just, that was, it's like one sentence, and I thought that was no. very, very, very sweet. It, it, it said a it, lot about her character. It It does. So you mentioned her roommate, Ardelia Mapp. Um, yes, I really like Ardelia. Um, she is very much about studying. She's probably going to be valedictorian of their class. Um, she likes girl talk and Mounds candy bars. Um, the girl talk, I thought, was um, not as good as it could have been, but it was coming from Thomas Harris, so I guess he was doing the best he could. Well, they spend a lot of time talking about that hunky like instructor they have who's right. teaching them how to shoot. Mm-hmm continue um well just as a brief bit of trivia um about the movie she's played by 
Casey Lemons in the movie. Um, and Casey Lemons wrote and directed the 1997 movie Eve's Bayou. Have you seen it? Oh, no, but I've heard of it. <gasps> you have to see this movie. It's great. And Lisa Nicole Carson is in it. Oh, I love Lisa Nicole Carson. Yes, it's a marvelous movie. I will check that out. No. You know what movie she isn't in, though. She's in the movie that we'll talk about. She's not in the movie we'll talk about next time. But I think that's that's interesting that she's not in it. Because she's definitely in the book. Which we'll talk about next time. Oh, you're killing me. What else do you want to talk about with this book? I don't know. What do you want to talk about? Well, I'll just go back to um, an article that I read that, of course... I didn't save where the hell it was from. I just took a screenshot of it and I didn't mention it. Was it this one? Are you talking about the article that's also talking about how Clarice Starling's like feminist kind of nature is kind of diluted by the transphobia of the book? Yes. So this is an article from the website Feministing. It was published on March 10th, 2016 by a writer named Josh, Joss, J-O-S Truitt. Um, and they uh, wrote uh, what, I, what I felt summed up my thoughts very well, that better than I could have. Um, this writer talked about the medical gatekeeping Right. You addressed and the classification systems that divided trans women based on sexuality um, and how gender identity clinics determined who could transition, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I do think this book is definitely a, a very strong sign of those times. Um, I think, you know, there, there's part of me, you know, I want to try to give the benefit of the doubt, you know, but I just don't think it works in this case. I, I think the only, the most generous way to do that would be to suggest that this is some sort of commentary like like oh look this person has turned to serial killing because of the state of you know gender identity in in the 90s but i think that's being way too generous of an interpretation i think it is i think it's just another yeah. example of like the the deviant queer in general um or yes yeah um, that was an excellent article, though. I really loved it. I thought it made some really good points about Silence of the Lambs, and I think you should tell people where they can find it. We can link to it in our show notes. Oh, wonderful idea. I will do that. But yes, because this uh, Thomas Harris didn't do a lot of research. I don't know if he spoke to any actual gay person, because if he did, he would know that Cher was not going by Cher Bono in 1988. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Yes. No, well, she never went by Cher Bono anyway. She was always just Cher. Right. I couldn't believe it that she describes the character as using a Cher Bono move to brush back her bangs. And what even would that be? Like Maybe it's like her her signature little hair flip that all the impersonators do. Woo! One other thing I'd like to mention is that I had done uh, a little bit more research because um and I forgot about this earlier, because we're told what um, hormones James Gum takes. Oh, that's right. Um, and they take Primarin, which is still uh, prescribed today. It has a flashy website, and it's used after menopause to reduce moderate severe hot flashes. I think they have commercials, because I feel like I've heard the phrase moderate to severe hot flashes in that, you know, side effect voice. Oh, definitely. 
Um, and they also take something called diethyl stilbestrol, um, which is abbreviated DES, and it is a synthetic estrogen that was given to pregnant women to reduce the risk of miscarriage, but eventually doctors realized it didn't do anything except give them cancer. Oh, my goodness. Um, so, and boys birthed by women on DES can also, like, inherit these non-cancerous epididymal cysts, which are growths on the epididymis, which are the tubes that connect your testicles to, like, the urethra. Oh, my goodness. I guess that'll um, teach me to read the tiny writing that we have on here, because I did not see that at first. <laughs> That's horrifying. So, well, yes. Yeah, so, you know, again, it's a state of the, you know, the, the science at the time. You know, they're just throwing these pills at people without knowing what they're doing. Um, oh, and also just right above that, I made a note about how Catherine Martin is described as a tall young woman, big boned and well fleshed, nearly heavy, with a handsome face and a lot of clean hair. <laughs> Like, that is such a funny description. A lot of clean hair. Like, <laughs> like, am I supposed to just assume that, like, Clarice hasn't washed her hair in three weeks? Because, like, no one else is described as having clean hair in this book. So is everyone else just greasy and unkempt? Uh, maybe that was supposed to emphasize why um, Jane Gum liked her so much as a potential victim. Oh, you're right. He's also going to scalp her. Right. Because he gets really nervous about shooting her because he's afraid he's going to accidentally shoot her through the scalp. There's a whole scene where they're thinking about shooting her because she has their dog. And right, they're trying to figure out how to kill her without hitting the dog or without hitting the head and damaging the hair. Yes. What a conundrum. (laughs) Yes. Have you ever made an origami chicken? I I have not, but I um, am going to because um, you sent me that nice link on how to make an origami chicken, and I think I could probably do it. We'll post a link to that, too, so people can make an origami chicken if they want. Yeah, that would be fun. Is that what Hannibal Lecter made one? They were trying to interrogate him, and he just folded an origami chicken instead. <laughs> yes, I thought that was nice. I mean, like, one time he just bit somebody's tongue out, so I, th- I guess it just depends on the situation and if he's going to make an origami chicken or bite somebody's tongue out. Would you ever eat someone's tongue, Josh? Like, if it was, like, on menu? Oh, yes, absolutely. I've had cow tongue before. Yeah? I mean human tongue. Yeah, I would. Like, if you were at a restaurant and it was legal. I would totally do it. Would you have other fleshy parts of a human? I would. Yeah? I would want to know what it tasted like. Me too. I, I'm just a curious people, person like that, I guess. Some people find that's really strange, but I, I would be really interested in that. And I also have a fantasy after I die of being made into jerky and eaten. Oh, like um, Ingrid Newkirk. Who's that? Um, the head of PETA. She's going to be made into jerky and eaten? Yeah, she's a ridiculous woman, and she wants all sorts of things to be done to her body after she dies. Like, one of her legs turned into, a, like, a, an umbrella stand, like elephant legs are, and, like, her her meat oh, taken or like a, and cooked oh, at a barbecue. I want, my leg, I want my leg to be a leg lamp from a Christmas story. Oh, yeah, that would be fun. I would look good in a fishnet stocking. You would. That would be, that would be mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We should remake A Christmas Story, but as some strange horror movie. <laughs> it would probably improve it. Anything else about 
Silence of the Lambs? Um, there's one line in there that I've always liked since the first time I've read it, and it was, um, I think it was about Chilton um, staring at her. Oh my goodness, bear with me for just a moment. I'm trying to scroll through here. Oh, um, described him like um, a thirsty chicken pecking for tears. Oh, interesting. Is that why Hannibal Lecter made the chicken origami as commentary on Chilton? Perhaps. I definitely Because it pecks. The origami chicken pecks. It literally pecks, yes. So maybe it can, maybe, maybe so. Yeah. I definitely probably connected the two in my mind. Oh, there was also that weird moment where um, Hannibal Hannibal Lecter referenced Truman Capote for some reason. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, he said, um, I forget what it was, but he said, you know, like Truman says, and Clarice is like, President Truman? (laughs) The Truman Show? (laughs) Well, we can talk more about Hannibal Lecter next time. Yes. Let's take a short break, and then we'll come back for a quiz. That sounds like fun. Well, we are back from our little break, and I forgot that I had one more thing that I wanted to talk about. Ooh, tell me. Well, one of the things um, about the book that um, Thomas Harris seems to keep emphasizing, and that what um, me and other people, me when I was younger, and other people have used to kind of defend the book against transphobia, is that James Gum is said to not be trans multiple times um and so it's kind of like well it's it's not about an evil trans person killing people because they're not actually a trans person mm-hmm. which isn't which isn't accurate i mean they, they think they're a trans person they're a trans person also there's all kinds of transphobia in the book besides that um and i just um it's something that I had used to defend the book back when I was younger, and I always and now now I feel kind of gross about it, um, in a bad way, not in a gross misinterpretation way. Um, Thank you for clarifying. Yeah, um, and I, I don't I don't think it excuses the transphobia at all, and there's there's other transphobia transphobic issues in the book as well. Um, just kind of like the part where Thomas Harris says that they're not gay um, it doesn't mean that the book isn't mm. homophobic um, because it definitely is yeah it sounds like this could be a case of uh, maybe him trying to do that and actually making things worse right and you know I think by, that's why by, tra- by having good intentions but not actually putting in the work no I think you're right because I, I kind of I guess I already kind of felt that way when reading the book that Thomas Harris is saying this isn't transphobic so it's not um. Yeah, we're the, all learning and evolving, and maybe Thomas Harris himself thinks differently these days. Who knows? Maybe he does. He rarely gives interviews. Um, he is kind of um, reclusive and doesn't kind of like interacting with the media. Um, it also takes him like thirteen years to write a book. So, um, 
there probably isn't a well, lot out there on his thoughts and feelings about the matter. No, I didn't find anything in my searches. and um, That's the reason why we decided to read this, because he just published that book for the first time in 13 years. That's right. Yeah, that's one of the reasons we're, um, we're taking a tour of Thomas Harris's more popular books, um, is because he has a new book that came out recently, Caramora? Caramora. Oh, yeah. And... Um, it is not related to Hannibal Lecter, um, but it is finally a new book from Thomas Harris, um, who seems to really struggle with uh, getting them written. I think Stephen King made a commentary on that one time. I think Stephen King made that commentary in an actual book. I think it was Bag of Bones, but I could be wrong, where he literally talked about Thomas Harris and how long it takes him to write books and how it's kind of torturous for him as a writer. Gosh, everything on this show brings us back to Stephen King. It sure the heck does. And um, we'll talk about it next time, but there's a quote from Stephen King on the back of my copy of Hannibal. Oh, interesting. We'll talk yes. about that next time, though. We'll, we'll talk about that next time. Uh, before we get to our quiz, I wanted to ask you if you had any other uh, exciting uh, cannibal-themed entertainment to recommend to our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> cannibal-themed entertainment. Well, there's, um, there's the movie Alive about the... Um, the soccer team that crashes in the Andes and they have to eat each other. That's a that's a good classic. Ooh, I've never seen that one. Oh, really? I, I've seen mm-hmm. it a couple of times when I was a teenager. I don't know what it was about soccer players eating each other, but um, I really enjoyed it. Sounds hot to me. Uh, <laughs> well, I can assure you it wasn't, and it's based on a true oh. life story, so, I mean, the family probably is still probably upset about them having to eat each other. Well, I'm sorry I made such an insensitive joke. <laughs> that reminds me of something that has nothing to do with anything. But John Waters was on Bill Maher's show recently. Um, and they uh-huh. they were making fun of somebody's name. Um, and I don't remember the guy's name. But they were making fun of it. and Because it kind of sounded like a character in a John Waters movie. And they are kind of just kind of giggling about it. And then the like military general sitting at the table was like, you know, he passed away last year. And like... <laughs> Bill Maher immediately gets defensive and John Waters just kind of laughs at it, which I thought was funny. Well, so I have two. One of them's a horror movie, um, The Green Inferno by Eli Roth, who did Hostel. Oh. Um, it's kind of problematic, but also really exciting. <laughs> These um, college students uh, go to protest uh, bulldozing of the Amazon rainforest. Um, and they chain themselves to trees and stuff to protest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they're flying back, their plane crashes in the jungle. And the very tribe that they're trying to protect turns out to be a tribe of cannibals who kidnap them and butcher them and eat them one by oh one. Oh, my God. It's a wild movie, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and then the other cannibal-themed movie is one of my favorites. Um, it's called Delicatessen. Um it's a French movie uh, by Jean-Pierre Jeunet, who did Amelie. Um, have you seen Amelie? I have. Remember the little guy who used to sit in the diner and speak into the tape recorder? Oh, yeah. Um, about the woman and her with her sciatica. Uh-huh. You know, she sold the cigarettes. He stars in Delicatessen as this man who rents a room in this boarding house. He uh, from in, uh, that's owned by a butcher. He doesn't know that the butcher has a habit of killing his tenants and serving them to people in town. He kills them oh. uh, and serves them as meat. 
Um, but it's some sort of like communist commentary. They're in like a crackdown of like a communist society. Uh-huh. Um, but but of course he falls in love with the butcher's daughter, um, and they try to escape um, and team up with the revolutionaries and stuff. It's a really sweet romantic movie about cannibalism, and there is <laughs> a scene in it where the two of them play music together. She plays, I don't remember if she plays an actual instrument, but he plays a saw, like with a bow. Oh, wow. Like an actual, uh-huh. like you'd cut down a tree with it saw. It's a really pretty scene. So, okay, so yeah, so those are our recommendations. We have a horror movie. We have a, a, a romantic comedy. <laughs> and we have a, a live, which is a gay porn. You also... <laughs> You also reminded me of two more. Um, well, you reminded me specifically of Sweeney Todd um, because they're they're grinding up people to put into meat pies that they sell. Do you know who I would love to grind up into a meat pie? And that's Johnny Depp. <laughs> yes, yes, that seems like a, a perfect thing to do with Johnny Depp. Um, but I still like the movie a lot because of Helena Bonham Carter, and I love meat pies, even though those ones had people in them. Mm, yeah, I would. Well, we already established we would still eat meat pies even if they had people in well, them. Well, not these ones because it would have been illegal to eat meat pies with people in them at that time period. What if they were bad people? Like, what if it was Dexter, but he made meat pies? Would you eat Dexter's meat pies? I'd think about it. Yeah, me too. The other one that I thought of is, is kind of a funny one. Um, we just watched the original. Tales of the City miniseries. Um, there were three of them, but we watched them in preparation of the new Netflix Tales of the City um, show that is that's on now. And I think it was the the second Tales of the the more Tales of the City where um, Marianne Singleton falls in love with this guy with amnesia, um, and after going through this whole ridiculous thing of trying to solve the mystery of why he has amnesia and why he throws up every time he sees roses, um, it turns out that he was part of some sort of weird church cannibal cult that would like literally Ooh. eat flesh as part of um, transubstantiation. Um, they mm. somebody would get like body parts from the hospital and bring them to them, and they would they would eat them. That's crazy. I love it. Yeah. My kind of church. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, let's go on to the quiz. All right, so I'm going to warn you that it was very difficult to find any quizzes related to the Silence of the Lambs book. Um, so I had to make my own, and I had to do it in a very short amount of time. But I did add a bonus question because we didn't get to talk about it during um, the rest of the episode. So I put it as a bonus question just for you. Ooh, I'm so excited. All right. So, question number one. What was the drawing of in Hannibal Lecter's cell? A collapsed church. In Florence, Italy. Yes. Correct. Was it just Florence? Yeah. Okay. I remember, I, he, I specifically remember him talking about Florence, but yes, you're probably right about the collapsed church part. I know he liked collapsed churches also. There was some metaphorical reason. Yes, I thought that was really funny. Um, and that that was one time where he sounded like somebody kind of quirky that I would be friends with. Mm-hmm. Um, question number two. For what reason does Clarice think that Chilton's hand, hand is shiny? His hand is shiny? Yeah, his hand is shiny. Why does Clarice think his hand is shiny? What What reason does she think it is? lotion 
Can you be more specific? Lube. No. <laughs> Here, I think you're going in the like, wrong is it a direction. Brand of lotion? You're going in the wrong direction. Uh, cream for like, um, uh, not scoliosis. <laughs> um, oh yes, yeah, scoliosis wait. cream. That's my favorite. Scoliosis cream. No, what's the skin condition? Uh, what's the answer? The answer is um, his his hair cream. Um, he from rubbing his hand over his uh, hair. Oh, okay, got it. He's a greaser. Yeah. Uh, question number three: What were the Smithsonian nerds playing chess with? A beetle. Yeah, you got it. I thought I Yay. always thought that was kind of a weird, funny detail. That was kind of a fun scene. Okay, you ready for this next one? I'm ready for all. Question time. number four: What song was James Gum singing in the shower? It's a very specific song by a very specific artist. I, I can you give me a hint? Uh, it's it's old and it's from Ain't Misbehavin'. Is that a musical? Uh huh. I don't know it. Um, who's the artist? Fats Waller. I don't know. I don't know why you would know either. Um, it's called Cash for Your Trash. Wow. Question number five. This is a weird question, so I apologize up front. What two weights were Catherine's clothes sized for? So, I'm sorry? So Catherine, Catherine Martin, she has clothes in her closet. And her clothes are two different sizes, fat her and less fat her. Um, so which weights would she be at when she would wear each one of those clothes? Uh, 150 pounds? Uh, yeah, one of them's 145. And 135. Nope. 125. You're going the wrong direction, buddy. 160. 165 was the other weight. Okay. Yeah. She had, like, you know, skinny clothes and, and larger person clothes. Yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. That was a dumb question. No, it was just very specific. It, I need to pay closer attention. It is very specific. Um, question number six. Where did Catherine keep her jewelry? It wasn't in the jewelry box, right? There was, right. Her LSD was in the jewelry box? She had a specific uh, place where she kept jewelry, but the jewelry wasn't there. So you want to know where her actual jewelry was kept? Or at least where Clarice expected it to be and didn't find it. In a plastic cabbage in the refrigerator? You got it. <laughs> I remember that now. I thought that was fun. Yeah, I kind of want a plastic cabbage to put stuff in. Question seven. Um, why did Clarice get scheduled for an evaluation hearing? Oh, that's right. Unfortunately, I'm reading. I just started reading Hannibal, and there's another hearing in that one, and now I've got that one on my mind. We'll talk about that in the um, next episode. Thank you. Yes, keep me on topic. Oh, the hearing. Is it? Is it? Oh shit. Um. Is it because she sneaks in to see Hannibal Lecter in Memphis? 
It's it's related to that, yes. Because he he gets out, and so um, I think Paul Krendler thinks that she brought him something um, in order to help him escape, um, or had something to do with him escaping. Um, but mm. okay, she specifically tells Jack Crawford, "I didn't even hand him anything. He handed something to me, and that was that was the end of it." Right. Yeah. So I don't think they would have accomplished very much had the uh, hearing uh, proceeded as scheduled. But so did I get the question right? I would say pretty much, yeah. Okay. I mean, you weren't very specific, but that's close enough. But you didn't ask me to be more specific. You're absolutely right. What was Hannibal Lecter's U.S. patent letter, uh, patent le- letter about? Let me try that one more time. Question number eight. What was Hannibal Lecter's U.S. patent letter about? Is it about Jesus? Yes. Is it about a crucifix? Yes. Oh, my God. That's... oh. And they, they tell him that they can't patent it, right? Well, I think so. Cause and they suggest he copyright the design? Yes, because copyright is for ideas and patents are for, like, mechanical things. Which I did find interesting. Yeah. But it's a... Gee, oh, I don't remember what was specific about Jesus. Do you give up? I do. It was a crucifixion watch. Oh, and his arms would tell the time. <laughs> yes. That's kind of funny. I kind of want one. Yeah. I get half credit. Okay. I'll go for that. Question number nine. What name did Hannibal Lecter give as Buffalo Bill's identity when he was talking to the senator? Oh, I don't remember. It's Bill, right? It's Billy something, (laughs) yes. Bill, Billy Graham. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been hilarious, but I don't think the senator would have believed him. (laughs) Oh, she was desperate. Well, that's true. Um, I don't remember. I might have believed him. Um, It was Billy Rubin. Billy Rubin, like the sandwich. (laughs) Yes. I love a good Reuben. I do too. You know the um, mm-hmm. the Cracker Barrel makes a good Reuben sandwich. Really? Yeah. Keep that in mind. Okay. Um, question number ten: What did Hannibal Lecter order for his first meal in Tennessee? Oh my God! I don't have any idea. A Reuben from Cracker Barrel. <laughs> no, it's if I was in Memphis, I would get my fried peanut butter banana and bacon sandwich oh yeah mm-hmm. uh that's that uh elvis's uh sandwich it sure is the elvis special um this one was specific i it was um, kind of a, a meaningful reason why he decided to order that specifically to eat i i have zero clue you don't have any idea what he possibly could have nope. ordered to eat for his first meal in Tennessee. No. Lamb chops. Really? Yes. Lamb chops. Didn't he order them rare? Yes, rare lamb chops. Okay. Yeah, maybe that's just was so dumb I blocked it out of my mind. <laughs> okay. Are you ready for your bonus question? Yes, I need the points. Where does Catherine Martin keep her popcorn? Her popcorn? Uh-huh. 
Oh, I I only know this because you put it in our notes in the freezer. Oh, I forgot I put it in the notes. Yeah, she keeps her popcorn in the freezer, which I thought was really bizarre. So I looked it up to see if other people do this. And I guess some people do. Um, but I think they're misguided because I did read an article that was like putting it in the freezer is a bad idea because it's got water inside the kernels and that water will, as it freezes, will move to the outside of the kernel and affect its ability to pop um, when it's popping in the microwave. So is this like pop secret? Like she keeps in there? Yeah, it's microwave <laughs> popcorn that she keeps in her freezer. So, okay, that's crazy. Like I have popcorn, like kernels that I do on the stovetop and that's in the fridge. Because it says to refrigerate it. Yeah, that's probably fine, but I think the freezer is a weird place to put it. Yes, and that stuff will stay, like, preserved in that little bag forever, probably. Uh Uh-huh. All right, well, how'd you do on that quiz? You tell me, Josh. You were the quiz master. Oh, I thought you were keeping track. Let's take a look here. Um, You got question number (laughs) one right. You missed question number two. You got number three right. You missed question number four. So that was a hard one. Um, you sort of got number five. Um, you got number six. You got... Uh, you you got half credit for number seven. Ooh, okay. Um... I'm going to give you half credit for number eight also, because you thought of Jesus and crucifixion, just not watch. Yes, you're so generous. Thank you. Um, you missed number nine altogether, and you missed number ten altogether. Um, Ugh. But you got number eleven right. Ugh, I got like four and a half points plus the bonus. Hey, that's not too shabby. Not too shabby. I'm failing again. Especially for one of my weird, weird-ass quizzes. That was a good quiz. Oh, well, thank you. Let's take a... You're welcome. Let's take a quick break, and we'll come back for some off-topic chat. Okay. So, welcome back. We're going to do some off-topic chat. Boy, Nicholas Sparks is a dick. He sure is a dick, um, and I hate his stupid books, and he's a hack to boot, but um, talk about why he's uh, specifically a dick. So Nicholas Sparks uh, founded, like, a private school, and one of their headmasters, this is like the anti-Hogwarts or something. It's like some private school where everyone's just, like, miserable um, because they're at Nicholas Sparks' private school, and it's called... um, Oh, what was it called? Not like serendipity or something. Was it, um, <laughs> the... was it Epiphany? Epiphany. And, um, like, here's an Epiphany. Nicholas Sparks sucks. Yep. Um, but so he is being sued by a former headmaster um, who was forced to resign. Um, not in small part because this headmaster... What are you making that face for? Is it because I'm saying headmaster? No, I was just waiting my turn because I was going to point out he was only headmaster for 98 days. 98 days. Because there were some students that wanted to start an LGBT group. um, And the headmaster supported them. And Nicholas Sparks did not. Right. He was was saying that um, it's discrimination to not allow them to come to the school. But it is not discrimination to tell them that they can't have a gay group. 
he also said there will never be an LGBT group at Epiphany. Yeah, that's something. And he later issued a half-assed apology in which he tried to, like, say, when I said that there would never be one, I didn't mean that there would never be one. <laughs> yeah, I think that his apology was kind of bullshit, um, especially because he was citing, like, school policies as his reasoning for being a complete and utter dickhead about the whole situation, um, which is which is dumb. Yeah, there are so many emails. I mean, nobody with half a brain believes his apology. Have you actually read a Nicholas Sparks book? Um, I have never, but I was forced to watch The Notebook, and I hated it. I've never seen one of his movies or read one of his books. Well, I you should consider yourself lucky. I had a professor in college who said that Nicholas Sparks only got a publishing deal because, like, 30 years ago, he was kind of cute, and... And he is, if you look at his author photos, and they thought that women would come out to get books signed by some cute guy writing romance stories. So it wasn't really about his writing talent, but it was about him being cute. Oh, well, that's really disgusting then. I don't know if, you know, I don't remember what her story was, but she said it as if it was true. I wouldn't be surprised. So, Josh, do you watch anime? I, I don't. I've seen some Sailor Moon. Does that count? That totally counts. I love Sailor Moon. But that's about it. So there was an anime that was very uh, formative in my youth, Neon Genesis Evangelion, or Ava, Uh um, which has just been released on Netflix. But they've retranslated it, um, and there's a pivotal episode between two characters. One of the main characters, his name is Shinji Ikari. He's a loner. He's depressed. He has anger issues, i.e. me as a child. Um... And he meets this one boy who, while they're, like, bathing naked together because they're Japanese, Uh um, tells him that he loves him. And there's always been this homoerotic relationship between the two of them. Um, They're basically gay Buffy and Angel because by the end of the episode, Shinji has to kill him. Uh Um, And so it's a very kill your gaze type of thing Uh in, in a way. It definitely conditioned me to the fact that I will be miserable for the rest of my life because I'm gay and anyone I love will right. die. Um, but in this new Netflix translation, he says, I like you. Yeah, Reed was telling me a little bit about that and how they kind of changed like the whole point of their, their relationship um, just by changing some of the words. Um, they changed the entire meaning. Yes, and so there was... Um, I think it was on Kotaku they were talking about it because they have someone on staff who speaks fluent Japanese and he was talking about what a bitch it is to translate because the word used in Japanese can mean like or love it's such an ambiguous word uh-huh. um, so that and the, the person who spearheaded the translation for Netflix said that the intention was to make it more ambiguous because that's more interesting oh yeah Reed said that too and I thought that was bullshit because um We've gotten a big ambiguous since the dawn of time. I mean, we, yes. we don't need any more ambiguous. And also, I don't know why Netflix no. would want to shy away from gay material. I mean, they're doing Tales of the City, for Christ's sake. Yeah, it was a really strange choice. Um, but our, my last bit of gay news is that Press Your Luck is back. Oh, yeah. Uh, whammy, the Whammy, gay icon of the 80s. He would dress up as Tina Turner. He would dress up as Boy George. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I did enjoy watching that when I was a kid. So have you seen the new one with Elizabeth I haven't seen it yet. Um, It's half good, half bad. Um, Elizabeth Banks is gorgeous. 
good. Yeah. Um, the questions are cute. They'll do this thing. So Press Your Luck is one of the rare game shows where you can buzz in before the host finishes reading the question. Oh, right. And so they try to trick them a lot. So they'll say, a famous movie once said that a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. And someone buzzes in and says, Mary Poppins. <laughs> and they say, but how many teaspoons are in a tablespoon? Oh, that's funny. And it's like, you know, Carla said Mary Poppins is the answer. Mary Poppins, two or three. <laughs> and that's that's always kind of funny, the way they trick them and it's strategy and it's just like funny. Um, the whammies are really cute. I really like the new whammies. Did you watch the, the game show network? They revived the show before. Oh. In the late 2000s. They called it Whammy, the new Press Your Luck. They had CG animated whammies. It was hosted by Todd Newton. What happened to Todd Newton? Where is Todd Newton today? I don't know who that is, and I did not see any of this new um, Press Your Luck. You would know Todd Newton if you Googled him. He was on E! He was like a red carpet personality. Oh. And he he hosted every, like, B and C level uh, game show. Through most of my 20s, one of the only channels I had was E! Um, so I probably have seen him once or twice. Yeah, I don't think he's doing anything now. He's a, he has a podcast, like everyone. Um, okay, so uh, the whammies are really cute. They're, like, hand-sketched. They have a slightly different design, but they're really in the spirit of the original one. Oh, good. There's celebrity whammies. There's a Harry Potter whammy. Like, so they're, they're doing the whole, like, celebrity commentary that whammy used to do. It's really in the spirit of it. I like those. Um, the one thing about this show, though, so they it's an hour long. Whoever wins goes to the bonus round, which is just 30 minutes of the same contestant pushing the button. Really? It's agonizingly bad. Wow. Are they going to hit a whammy? And it just goes on for 30 minutes. And then they have to talk to, like, their loved one in the audience. I will say that both the first episode of Press Your Luck reboot and Card Sharks reboot with Joel McHale had a uh, gay contestant. Oh. On the first episode of both. And I know the Press Your Luck gay contestant, his husband was in the audience cheering for him and was uh, got a lot of screen time. Well, that's nice. I know we've gotten several gays on the new match game. Oh, good. Very good. Another good gay show. Yes. Um, but my issues with Press Your Luck beyond the bonus round is that there's no Flocati rug. That was the iconic prize of the original Press Your Luck, the Flocati oh. rug. Um, and... When they give their answers on the original Press Your Luck, they would put the answers above the contestants on the screen so you as the home viewer could see them. Oh, right. Them. I remember that. They don't do that on this new oh, one. Oh, boo. The contestants still take up the bottom eighth of the screen, and the top, like, seven-eighths of the screen just says Press Your Luck. Hmm. Where are the answers? I just scream at the TV. Where are the answers? The absence of, of text has never irritated me more. I get so mad about this. Like I've been working, I've been losing sleep over this. Maybe you should write them a strongly worded letter. I might. And what can we look forward to next time on gross misinterpretations? Well, as in case someone hasn't been listening, yes, <laughs> that we've said it every five minutes. <laughs> yes, as I was going to say, if you if you didn't hear the other seventeen times we mentioned it, <laughs> we are going to be talking about the book Hannibal next time. It is uh, we the are follow up 
to Silence of the Lambs, sort of. Um, Red Dragon and Silence of the Lambs are, are basic thrillers, and they kind of have their own format, but <laughs> Hannibal goes completely off the rails. Um, I thought for a second you said Fred Dragon. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, that would be such a good name, Fred Dragon. <laughs> if I ever get a lizard, I'm naming him Fred Dragon. <laughs> Oh my goodness, no, Red Dragon. Um, but yes, okay. we're going to be talking about Hannibal next time, uh, obviously. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, it was it was always one of my favorites. Um, I even stole the audiobook when I was a teenager so that I could listen to it. <gasps> Who read it? Do you remember? Was it Kathy I Bates? don't remember. Well, that'll be fun to talk about next time. In the meantime, what can people where can people find us um we are now available on almost every podcast app that you could come up with um and yeah um itunes and stitcher and Castbox and spotify um we're everywhere but um we would appreciate it if you could go to itunes and give us a rating and maybe a review we would really appreciate it sir do we have anywhere people can contact us directly Maybe we should. We absolutely should. If you have any commentary, um, you can always email me at thegrossone at outlook.com. Ooh. I'm also going to try to remember to put those um, links that we talked about in our episode description. This has been a great chat, Josh. I can't wait until we can share some human jerky together. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes, I enjoyed our conversation as well, and I'm looking forward to Hannibal. All right, we'll talk to you later. All right, have a good night. All right, bye. bye.